You are listening to the Effective Statisticians, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today we are talking about various mistakes and problems that I have seen over the years with network meta-analysis, which are very often not talked about in the different publications. So stay tuned and now listen to some music. Many people think network meta-analysis are really kind of a push-the-button exercise. Like you do a logistic regression or an ANCOVA, once you have specified it, job done. But it's much more complex than that. And that is because there's so many different variables in it. And also because it's pretty observational in nature. You don't have so nice and easy control over the input data. And that's where a lot of the problems start. Another nice thing that I would like you to be aware about is the library with all the free content that we have now on our homepage. So check out the effectivestatistician.com and find there's a library with all the free webinars, all the free downloads, all these kind of different things all together in one place for you to become an effective statistician. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. The reduced rate is only £20 for non-high-income countries and only £95 annually for high-income countries. So head over to psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. So let's talk about what can go wrong with network meta-analysis. The first thing that came to my mind were outliers. Outliers not identified and then the impact of them not analyzed. If you have lots of different studies, it can easily occur that there are certain studies that really drive kind of an overall problem within the network. Look at them more closely. What exactly is the problem there? Sometimes it's you know just a data entry problem, or maybe there's something very, very specific with the characteristics of the study, or maybe there is you know something else that is going on. Have a very, very close look and see what this outlier does to your analysis. As I just mentioned, sometimes there's problems with the input sheet. I've seen that again and again and again. It starts already very often that the data sheet is not really easily be able to read in electronic form. So there is things like there are comments in the fields where you would expect only numbers. Sometimes the standard deviation is shown, sometimes the standard error is shown, or 
it's not reported because only the confidence interval was there and people were not clear on how to get a standard deviation or a standard error from the confidence intervals. Things like that. And odds ratio showing in the wrong direction. Things like that. It happens again and again and again. So you need to have a really, really clean input sheet. Have a discussion with those that run the uh, systematic literature review and make sure that uh, all these kind of different things are discussed, that they speak with you when there's some kind of problem coming up or something like this. Also, make sure that you give input into the, usually an Excel file, where they input all their data. Very often the SLR is done by two independent persons. Have a look into what the different people actually put into the spreadsheet and discuss studies where there's a problem coming up uh, so that you can actually solve that. It's similar to kind of clinical studies. If you don't have a good process for setting up the case report form, then you have a problem. You might get wrong data or you might get data that you don't understand. The nice thing is it's literature data, so you can always go back to the publication yourself and have a look. One big problem is if the data is not shown in a table, but only in a graph. There's of course nowadays ways you can extract dates from a graph, but you would like to know where this is coming from. Is there the precision the same that you have with all the other things? Do you need some kind of additional sensitivity analysis to check whether that really is the right information? So have a look into these things. This is really, really critical. Next problem is about dosing. There are many, many different ways how you can dose treatments. And sometimes there's studies that use different dosing, different dosing regimens. Maybe the phase two study has lots of different regimens. Maybe, you know, there's um, later on, there's additional dosing regimens. Have a very, very close look into these. Do these have an impact on the safety profile, on the efficacy profile? Should they be really pooled or not? That can be a very, very easy critique point from others. If you pool doses to basically, you know, get a more stable network, which shouldn't be pooled. At least make sure that you have some sensitivity analysis. It gets even more tricky if there are some doses that are not improved. So they were studied, but not approved because they were too high, too low, whatsoever. And that can also, of course, differ across different regions. So make sure that you include those that are acceptable. If you also include doses that are not approved, because maybe you want to make your network connected or things like that. At least have a discussion about this so people understand why you do it. Also, look at it from uh, where it is actually used. Maybe it's used for reimbursement purposes in a specific country. And in this country, only a specific dose is approved for reimbursement. Then, of course, you want to have 
this information kind of singled out so that the HDA bodies don't have an easy play to say, well, that data is not relevant. And, or, of course, you know, this, this looks better because you have pooled doses and that some of these are not reimbursed here. So have a look into this, understand where it's used, why it's used, what are the backgrounds, and look at it very, very closely. Next problem, placebo. Although there might be, you know, the treatment might be labeled placebo, of course, it's not just the placebo pill. There's lots of things that are happening in the background, concomitant medication, different standard of care, all kind of different things. Have a look into what really this placebo treatment means. Is it the same? Has it changed? Is there something maybe that you haven't captured? Placebo can change, especially over a longer period. Yeah, so if you, for example, look into therapeutic areas where there's established treatment for quite a while, let's say like depression, then placebo treatment can change very, very dramatically over time. And placebo response may also change quite dramatically over time. So have a look into this. Very often placebo plays a very, very critical role in your network. Yeah, maybe you have even that kind of star-shaped network where the only connector for all your treatments is placebo. Then, of course, make sure that this placebo is really always the same. And if not, look into what kind of impact that might have. Understand what the heterogeneity of the placebo effect, uh, what kind of, what does that play a big role? That is really very, very important to be discussed. Next thing is missing data. Well, because lots of lots of these different studies, you know, reported in all kinds of different journals, you'll always have missing data. You'll have missing baseline data, missing follow-up data, um, all kinds of different things. Check whether it's really missing or maybe it's somewhere hidden. You know, sometimes these are things that maybe are only in the clinicaltrials.gov or maybe there's some kind of appendix or something like this. Also, if you need this baseline data for your network meta-analysis, plan for cases where these might be missing so that you can run sensitivity analysis where you maybe impute something that is missing, yeah, especially for baseline. If something is missing on the, on the endpoints, have a look into why it's missing. Let's say you, have a, you want to look at a specific time point, let's say 12 weeks, but there's only effect measured at 10 weeks and at 14 weeks. Does it make sense to interpolate? Does it make sense to use the last value or the first value? What is a kind of, in a way, conservative approach? And what does conservative in this sense mean? Is it maybe overestimating your treatment effect for the treatments that you are interested in or not? That is really, really important. The timing of these endpoints is also really important. If time has a huge 
impact on the treatment response. You need to be really, really careful about this. I've worked on a lot of different areas where the uh, treatment response increases over time. And a couple of weeks can make a big difference. Yeah, so, so it makes a big difference if you look after three months or after four months or after two months. So if you just pool across all these different time points, you might really mix up treatment effects with time effects. And that can lead to uh, biases in all kinds of different directions. So have be clear on what you will do in these kind of situations. Maybe even if the primary endpoint, you know, is at 16 weeks for some and at 12 weeks for others, look into the secondary endpoints. Maybe they are only reported in, in a figure, but have a look into these so that you really compare like to like. That's really, really important. Or if you don't have this data, then plan for different sensitivity analysis. The next problem that I very, very often see has more to do with the analysis part. If you do these Bayesian network meta-analysis, you get this nice thing about the ranking. Yeah, the, the probability that a treatment is, is best, is at least second best, is at least third best, things like that. That is, of course, nice and great, yeah, especially from if you come from the kind of sports background, but it only gives you the order. It doesn't tell you how big the effect is really. And this is especially important if you do the network analysis on many, many different endpoints, let's say on efficacy, quality of life, adverse events, time to discontinuation or discontinuation rates overall. The effects might be very, very different for these endpoints. Yet the ranking might look in even the opposite way because the ranking doesn't consider how big the differences are in a way. It takes, of course, into account the kind of difference in a standardized mean difference way. Yeah, so it takes into account the difference and the, the variability around it. But it doesn't take into account the actual differences. So that is where it is really important. And if you want to compare things across different endpoints, you don't only want to compare the rankings, but you also want to get a sense of how big the actual differences are. Next problem, and that has also to do with the analysis part, is poorly visualizing all these different sensitivity analyses. Now, I have mentioned this now a couple of times that because there's all these different problems, you need to do sensitivity analysis. You can easily get into hundreds and hundreds. I've even seen, you know, plants with thousands of sensitivity analysis. How do you visualize these? Yeah, just putting them in, you know, an appendix that has hundreds of pages. Hmm, you probably don't see the forest for the trees. So think about how you present all of that. Because also, if you have a network, yeah, your outcome 
is basically a matrix of all the different pairwise comparisons. And if you now have many different sensitivity analysis, how do you present about this? What is in this kind of metric that is for you maybe most important that you want to speak about? And then show this part. Or maybe you want to do something that is more interactive, have some kind of interactive data visualization tool, a shiny app or something like this, where you basically let the reader dive through all the different data. That is, I think, a very, very elegant and nowadays possible solution, but it's rarely done. And it gives the reader the opportunity to look into the data they are most interested about. So maybe you, of course, are maybe most interested about your new treatment compares to all the others. But others may, may have a different point of view, and maybe they want to look into the, the treatment they, they most often prescribe. And so they want to look into what are the sensitivity analysis for this uh, treatment. So this is a really, really complex thing, but have a think about it, how you want to assess it. Next problem. Very often you'll not have uh, one endpoint, as I mentioned, but you will have many different endpoints that you will look into. Now, the uh, studies differ across these different endpoints. Yeah? So maybe you have 20 studies for the efficacy endpoint, but you have only 10 studies for the quality of life endpoint. Have a look into what is the effect here that you only have a subset of these. One thing could be, for example, to run an analysis on the uh, efficacy endpoint that only includes the studies where you also have quality of life. So you get a sense of how quality of life and efficacy kind of relate to each other. So that you can see kind of, okay, that probably leads to a bias in that way or the other way. And you can better kind of get an understanding. Maybe you can even think about extrapolating the quality of life for the other uh, studies and do some kind of sensitivity analysis around this. So have a thought about these because there might be some kind of bias included there that, that only certain studies have a quality of life assessment in there. Next problem. Patient population differs between studies and hence between treatments. Now this is a pretty standard problem, but have a look into this. Have a look into, of course, all the different, uh, you know, known prognostic factors, known predictive factors. Now the problem is, what are these? And <laughs> very often in the guidance, it said, well, any of these known predictive factors you should include in your analysis and you know adjust for them. The problem is that these guidances never talk about what it means. Yeah? Because of course, you know, it's, it's this is very often not a yes no question. It's more about is it a very big one or is it not a big one? And so the you probably need to have a little bit of a play with it. How big would it be? And then it becomes even more tricky if you think about anything that is driven by 
unreported stuff. You know, so, so maybe you can imagine certain bias across the different studies based on something that is not reported. Yeah? Because the uh, studies come from different countries, different uh, decades, whatsoever. There can be all kinds of different things that we don't think about, but could be drivers. Yeah? In randomized studies, of course, we exclude that because we you know, have the randomization. But as I said earlier, this is much more like an observational setting. So have a think about what could lead to biases between the different uh, treatments and the different studies. Next problem is usually this network meta-analysis needs to be updated again and again and again. Maybe the first time you do the network meta-analysis is if you have your phase 3 readout and you want to put your phase 3 data into perspective. You have a fresh a systematic literature reviews that is just maybe a couple of weeks old, fine. Now, by the time that you submit to the uh, regulators, there might be new studies coming out. And if you want to use your network meta-analysis for any reason in, in the there, you need to update it. Have you planned for that? Can, do you know how you can quickly check where are the problems? Where are, what is the impact of these new studies that you have included? Do you have a good way you can check all the different sensitivity analysis that you have done uh, so that you can quickly see where there's any qualitative changes? You don't want to probably think about all the quantitative changes, you know, whether there's some kind of minor thing happens somewhere. That will always happen. But what about the big qualitative changes? Do you get them? Next problem is you then get approval and you need to submit yet another fresh network analysis with an updated systematic literature review. Do these things again. And then you probably, most likely, don't run this kind of HDA dossier directly to all countries. Most companies do launches in waves. They have a first wave, a second wave, a third wave. And so you constantly need to update your network meta-analysis. Do you have a good process in place to always be doing this? Do you have the resources in place to do this? These are really, really big problems yeah because people just think about it oh i just do this once maybe twice no <laughs> i used to work on an indication where there was constant kind of new things coming up and i joked with my partner from world Auto outcomes that we were talking together about it this network meta-analysis never dies it kind of as soon as we had one dossier done we needed to update it for the next one it was ridiculous. And actually, at the time, we worked with a CRO that would charge us again and again kind of the original price. It was, it was really, really, really bad. So think about it. How will you handle these kind of different things? Now, 
this episode is already going on much longer than I anticipated, but it's a lot of different things that can go wrong. There's further things, but I don't want to go into all of these. If you're interested to learn more about network meta-analysis and because you want to run them for your business and you feel really uncomfortable about all these kind of different things, get back to me. Maybe we can actually work together to find a nice solution for you. So just send an email to alexander at theeffectivestatistician.com and then we'll get in touch. This show was created in association with PSI. Please head over to theeffectivestatistician.com to check out the library with all the free content. Thanks to Rain and Casey, who helps with the show in the background, and thanks you for listening. Reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.